This sermon is from Grace Fellowship Church in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. To access other sermons or to learn more about us, please visit our website at graceedmonton.ca. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, welcome back to uh, Grace Fellowship Church. It's great to see everybody. Um, welcome and uh, thank you for joining us again in uh and as we trek through the book of First Corinthians, again, uh, Shane opened last week um, with, um, with First Corinthians. And as we started to look at First Corinthians, again, this is a, if we remember what the church in Corinth was, this is a very, uh, a very young church. If you remember the, um, the context of which the, the letter was written to the church in Corinth, this is a very young church around 50 AD. Um, and is, uh, it's, a, it's a church that Paul had planted. And it, again, being a young church, there are... Um, there are many things that were a blessing to the area, but uh, we, we get to see as we go further in today's, um, in today's passage that there were many issues in, uh, in the church in Corinth. Um, looking at the first few verses that I remember that Shane preached upon last week, this is Thanksgiving. There's a lot of hope that was built up in the church and in uh, the message that as, as Paul opens up his letter, um, this is a brilliant letter meant for um, any new church because it has so much uh, applicability and application in how we are going to conduct our lives and how we're going to live as Christ-centered disciples of Christ. But again, with as much hope that Paul builds upon, we get to see, um, we get very quickly into the correction that Paul has in mind um, as he addresses this new church, church that he is um, well invested in, in which he is emotionally invested in, he's, he's done planting of his own. But we get to see that correction come live out in full force um, this morning or this afternoon. Um, before we get into it, um, I want us to just uh, bear in mind um, that the, the, the text that we're addressing this morning or this afternoon is, has to do with um, divisions and unity. Um, when we look at passages like the one that uh, Jason just read, uh, so verses uh, 10 to 17 in First uh, Corinthians, we, we need to look at, uh, we need to ask ourselves this question, why is it that, um, that we have this passage to begin with? We need to think about why it's written in the way that it is. And we, uh, when, we, when we're honest students of the Bible, when we're studious students, we have to understand that it's not, that oftentimes things in the Bible aren't written because they're easy or because they, they come to us naturally. If it isn't clear, it's not our main disposition to be united. It's not our main disposition that we would come to one another and come in perfect harmony and come to see one another um, without any quarrels, right? That's not, that's not our natural disposition. Actually, rather, our main disposition and our natural desire is to divide, right? It's to, it's to, it's to bicker, it's to come to one another with our own preconceptions and our own issues and to divide over them. That's what we naturally are disposed to. Right? That's what we want to do. So when we look and study today's passage, we need to come with a, with a sense of humility. We need to come to an understanding that as we learn about unity, well, we study more about division, but more, more specifically, unity, that is what we need to strive for. But it is difficult because we are carnal creatures. But we need to have an understanding that these things are written, that we might follow them with the right interpretation in mind. So before we even get to the, the passage that uh, was read earlier, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar, anyone with an, with an astute eye um, who's been going to church for a couple of years or uh, keeping an astute eye in kind of uh, church history issues and um, even modern church history issues will know that um, there are many um, more, than, more issues to divide over than perhaps unite, right? In one sense, if, you, if you're keeping a discerning eye into the news, into, the, um, into what discussions are coming up regarding the church, oftentimes you'll find issues of unity or sorry, issues of division that come up more than issues that unite us. While that's not by accident, I mean, that's a, that's a very um, implicit ploy by, uh, by the world to rob us of our hope, to look upon the bride of Christ and to say, that look, at, look at the quarreling that is happening in this place or that place or in this denomination or uh, look at these people over here, look what's happening here. This is, this is an, an intentional method that, that the world reigns upon our joy. It, it, looks, it seeks to take it away from us, but we need to have an understanding, a, a very humble understanding, that this is something that we need to understand with Christ-like eyes. It's not, these things are, are for us to study and to come to an understanding that it is, again, not our disposition to unite, but to divide. If you guys have been paying attention, there's been a lot of divisions over many things over the past couple of years. Um, one of the ones that, uh, and this is not to beat up on any one denomination, because there's many. This is but one story of many um, with the, the church and the, the Methodist Church in the United States. 
there was a big splintering, uh, what you call a schism, uh, schism in, in doctrine, uh, that arose in uh, March of uh, 2020. And they've postponed, and the, um, the reason for the division is issues of doctrine, is to say, um, is issues on complementarianism, who shall preach, and who is allowed on the pulpit, and issues of gender and sexuality. And these, this schism that has now divided this church, the third, this isn't just for reference, this is the third biggest denomination in the United States. So you have to understand there's millions of, uh, of, of, of members of this church, of this flock, that are now in, in, in limbo, that are now looking towards this, this schism, this, this division that is building within their congregations over issues of doctrine, over issues of um, any, and, any and all things. But primarily, they're having these issues that are coming up that are going to divide them. And again, this is just one example. You could look at um, all throughout church history, even modern church history, even within the last 50 years, you see all these divisions take place. And again, we need to have an understanding that it isn't our natural disposition to come to unite. This isn't something that I think we all, something I think we all understand, but we need to be really aware of. That true unity comes only in Christ. And we come to see that in this passage as Paul really digs in and plants his feet and addresses and corrects concerns in, the, in this young church in Corinth. So with that in mind, again, that should be a sobering thought to us, that we are no better than this church in Corinth. In fact, this, is, um, this is stands as much true today in 21st century Edmonton, Alberta, as it did in 1st century Corinth. We need to really look at this and have an understanding that it is in Christ and Christ alone that unity is found, that we, we cannot find unity in, in any other means. And Paul gets right to the issue in this text. So let's just let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, um, Lord, make us a humble people, Lord. Uh, Father, I ask that, Lord, that you'd prepare our hearts to study this text, Father, and that we would come with a mind, Lord, to truly unite, Father, that we would find unity in Christ. Lord, tend the, the soil of our hearts, Father, that the seed, Lord, that you would plant, Father, would grow and bear fruit, Lord. There would not be an issue of division, Lord, that we would come to an understanding today, Lord, that it is in Christ and Christ alone that any unity can be found anywhere. Lord, we are carnal creatures, Lord. We are too carnal still, Father. We are not spiritual enough. We do not seek you as we ought to, Lord. But I ask, Father, that we would take one step further today, becoming more and more like Christ, Lord, that we would be humble. Lord, seeking to glorify him, Father, and be united as a church, loving one another, Father. I ask, Lord, that you would... Uh, that you'd build up our minds, Father, right now in this moment. Father, you'd make it fruitful, Lord, that we would come away edified and ready to learn um, what it is, what applied to first century Corinth, Lord, and what applies to us today. So I pray this all in the precious and loving name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So looking at today's text, um, we're looking at, at, at uh, seven verses here. Um, Jason was... Uh, uh, was gracious enough to read it for us in the beginning. Um, and it breaks up beautifully into a couple, uh, couple, couple sections that we're going to um, look at more clearly. Um, but where we're going to stop right first is, the, um, is verse 10. And I'm going to read it right now. And I want us to, to really listen and to understand some of the, the brilliance of the text of the way Paul writes. And also the, um, but not just the brilliance, but the authority from which he writes. So reading verse 10, it says, I appeal to you, brothers and brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all, all of you agree and there be no divisions among you, but that you would be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Looking at all the verses leading up to uh, and including verse 10, um, we have to understand that Paul uh, is addressing to an authority. If you guys remember what the Greek word uh, apostle means, it's apostolos in Greek. Um, it means he that is sent. Paul, um, looking very clearly at the text, knows, knows and understands his position as an apostle. Look at, if we remember even our first verse of this, uh, this book, it says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. He understands full well that he is one that is sent, has sent one, has sent one from the king, from our Lord Jesus. So he doesn't come to, the, to this church in Corinth um, claiming um, apostleship, which he does later, but he understands that his, his apostleship comes on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And if you look at verse 10, um, amazingly, if you, if, you're, if, you've been, um, if you keep a running count in your mind, um, up to and including verse 10, Paul has made reference to the Lord Jesus Christ 10 times. Um, 
that's 10 verses, essentially one ver- in, in each verse that he, has, um, that he has written up until this point, there are 10 references to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's made very clear that it is Jesus Christ that is, that is our authority. And look how beautifully he writes at the end of this verse, which in, by some commentators, verse 10 is also still part of the introduction, but this is where it ends. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there is no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. This is the ending of, John, or of Paul's introduction. And he's about to get into the issues and corrections that he needs to address. But this is still part of the introduction. And we need to look at that and say, he, we need to keep a mind about us to say the same mind and same judgment. Looking at this verse, we have, to, we have an understanding that Paul... Uh, if you guys know the history of Corinth, and um, he was one of the main church planters. He was one of, if you look back in the, the book of Acts, you see that Paul is very well invested in this church. He knows his people there. He has, um, has his brother Sosthenes, to, who, to whom he's referring to. And you see that there are people and brother in there that he, he loves dearly. He loves his church dearly, and he is, um, and no doubt he is troubled by what he's hearing. If you remember, Paul, knowing his apostleship, calls himself um, an apostle to the Gentiles. In Romans 11, 30, uh, 11, 13, he says, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. And further on in the book of Ephesians, he says, even prisoner, he says, I, Paul, a prisoner on, uh, for Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. Again, he, Paul, wherever he went throughout uh, Asia, he expounded the, the name of Christ. He proclaimed his name and he was planting churches in the name of Christ. But, just as easily, and again, if, if we've ever come to this text and come to understand it, one question that might have come up is, well, he could have easily just as said, um, could have relied on his apostleship, could have relied on the, on the good graces and the effort and the, and, and the relationship that he, has, that he would have built with this church in Corinth. No doubt he would have met brothers and sisters and he would have labored alongside them and built a healthy relationship and he could have called upon those things. When you look at the, um, the natural disposition, again, and we're looking at, at the carnal man, it is easy. It looks to something for us to, to, be, um, to do that as well, right? To, 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 I, I, you know, I've I'm, I'm earned this, or I've, I've earned this amount of respect. I am an apostle. I've, I've labored alongside you. And Paul does, does continually, throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, continue to reestablish his authority. But the authority comes from Jesus Christ. He doesn't do so on the backs of his good works and his good labors. Because he understands that it's not in the carnality of man that he is laying down this, this argument. Because to do so, to put all his eggs in this basket, as it were, to, put, to, to, to essentially call in all his favors and cash in all the good relationships that he would have done, which he would have no doubt made, would have been just as, would have been, would have been to fall just as much into the sin that plagued the church of Corinth, was the, would be to appeal to the carnality of man to appeal to the same, sen- the same sense that is, has gotten them into this problem uh, thus far. So keeping this in mind, keeping verse 10 in mind, we have to understand that Paul is making the appeal in the name of our Lord Jesus. No divisions, and they'd be all united, but we'd be united in the same mind and judgment. To, to have the same mind and judgment of Jesus Christ is, is, is uh, we, we tend to look at passages like this one and um, almost overlook them, right? We would read this and uh, we would say, well, we understand that he's making the appeal of Jesus Christ as the authority. And oftentimes, I mean, I, uh, maybe I'll count myself as this. I, I would look at a passage like this and maybe breeze over this and say, okay, I understand what that means and I'm going to move on. But if we really stop to think about what it would look like or what, what it means to have the same mind and judgment of Jesus Christ and to really meditate on that, that thought is almost overwhelming. Think about the, having the same mind of our Savior, our Savior, Lord, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, to have that same mind and judgment, to make decisions based on His judgment and His mind, His power. If we really stop to meditate on that for just a second and we look at all the issues that are going to plague this church in, in Corinth, there is no other way that we are going to deal with any of these issues unless it is on, uh, on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. Just to, again, just to, just to highlight just um, the authority of Jesus Christ. We, um, I've often cited this one, Matthew, uh, Matthew 28, the Great Commission. As we turn there real quickly. Um, as you turn there, the, the Great Commission is cited often, but one, one of the, uh, 
Um, one of the defining features of this, um, of this passage is that if you were going to say something to, um, to a group of people and it was the last thing you were ever going to say, well, the last thing you were going to say to them in the physical sense, you would make sure that it would be something that it would, would really matter, that it would really stick. You'd want them to remember this. This is the, com- the great commission that Jesus Christ issued to his apostles before ascending into heaven and before the Holy Spirit um, was poured out upon the apostles. And you, and, you, and you read the beginning of Acts. This is right before that moment. He says this, and I'll, we'll pick it up in verse 18. He says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Think about that authority, that same mind, like it says in verse 10 here, uh, 1 Corinthians, the same mind in judgment. All authority, in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus Christ, the authority, says this. And then he says in verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That same mind is with us now today, and that same judgment is with us now today as it was in the church in Corinth in the first century. And we have to understand, if you re- to, again, to meditate on this, it, it's so easy for us to look at verses like First um, Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 10, and breeze over it. But to really meditate on this, it's almost overwhelming. The same mind and judgment of, of, of Jesus Christ. That is a big order. And, Jesus, and Paul is making his claim on this. He's building his foundation on this rock. We sang Rock of Ages earlier. Um, and that is exactly, um, if I was going to pick a hymn, that is, that is the exact hymn that I would have sung. Because on that rock, we are, going to, we are going to stake our claim. It is on Jesus Christ, who is that authority, that we are going to build um, the church, that, sh- that the church is going to be built on. Charles Hodge is a, is a, a theologian from the 1900s um, who wrote a commentary on uh, 1 Corinthians. Um, and, and in many ways, he, uh, he meditated on this verse um, for what seemed like um, he, he connects this verse with many more verses later on in the book of 1 Corinthians. And this is one that we, could, we, could, we should continue to go back to. To have the same mind of Christ and the same judgment is one that we're going to need to have if we're going to address any of these issues or come to understand the issues that plagued the church in Corinth. He says this um, of his commentary. <clears throat> and once more, it means mutual activity. What a marvelous thing that is. He accommodating himself to our weakness. Oh no, not becoming weak. He accommodates himself in his government of us, in his goings, to which he calls us fellowship. Accommodating himself to our weaknesses. This is his gentleness. Think about that. He is accommodating himself to our weaknesses. Christ does not need us. But he comes alongside us in gentleness and and accommodates his infinite power to our weakness, our burdens. He lifts us up. And he finishes by saying, And on the other side, we are rising to cooperation with his power. That is the secret of greatness in fellowship. The fellowship of Christ. If you, again, the reason Paul starts it, and we need to think about this. We need to understand that the reason Paul begins his rebuke with the foundation of Christ and the same mind and judgment is to say that we need to lean on his power to correct the divisions that are popping up all over the church in Corinth. To do it any other way would be folly, would be futile, and there's no way that it could ever be done. So Paul makes this emphatic, and, he's, and again, he ends his, his introduction, as it were, with this verse. So we need to keep that in mind. That reminds me, to, in one sense, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but I worked in construction for... Um, for a season for a couple months and uh, um, and it was difficult work it's difficult work um, but you learn quite quickly what having a good foundation looks like uh, what it looks like when you're working in construction um, it's simple principles of physics and uh, understanding weight bearing and all those things that is the literal it's, it's, it's literal difference between life and death in many ways if you're working in construction because you have to have an understanding um, of, of the physics of, of a proper foundation because you need to have an understanding that what is below you is going to sustain your weight and the weight of everything above you. When you're, when you're framing, I, w- I only framed houses for a time, but you learn quite quickly that you have to learn to trust the foundation if you're going to build upon it. If you don't have any trust in the foundation, you're going to quickly come to find out that uh, you can't build very much on it. 
especially when you're up 30 to 40 feet. I remember learning, uh, being on the ladders for the first time, 30 to 40 feet up in the air with, uh, with nails and, and wood and lumber, and you're, and, you're and you're building a home. You're building the foundations that will eventually be become the home of someone that's going to move in there. But if you don't have any trust in your ladder that is going, that is going to sustain you, if you don't have a trust in the foundation that it, on which the house is being built, you cannot work confidently or efficiently. To, in other words, that foundation has to sustain the weight of everything that is above it. To have anything that is faulty or a cracked foundation or faulty in any sense is quite literally the difference between life and death. In a spiritual sense, that applies even more to Jesus Christ. To not have that foundation on Jesus Christ is the difference between spiritual life and spiritual death. So again, I really just want us to understand that it is, um, it is paramount that we understand that, G that Paul ends his, um, his introduction still with this in mind, that he is appealing to the brothers and sisters to have the same mind and judgment in Christ. So again, so if you're, if you're taking notes, um, this is, again, the appeal to Jesus Christ. This is the authority of Christ. So looking, at our, um, looking further into our text, we need to look at... Um, Again, just as we, as we continue to break down the text, we start picking up again at verse 11. It says, um, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Again, we need to, if we take a step back and remember what Shane preached about last week, if, if you guys uh, are familiar with the, um, with the geography of Corinth and the, um, just the, the location and how everything um, was in first century Asia, when you look at, when you look at the, the map, you would see that it's almost like the um, Central America would be a pre pretty good, it's analogous, that you have two connecting bodies and you have uh, Corinth, which sat kind of in the middle of this, this almost peninsula, this, this, this land mass that connects both uh, the north and the south. And, it would, and, and in, for this reason, it was, open to, it was a mercantile area. So for those who don't know what mercantile means, it's just uh, there was a lot of merchants, there was a lot of, uh, of commerce, there was boats and uh, big dock that would come in. And, um, and as a result, it was a busy area. It would be no different than, for example, uh, big airports, right? You're seeing uh, big airports um, in the United States, for example, in the LAX or in Houston, all these places. Wherever you see a big, big meaning of, uh, of, of, of movement, right, of commerce, you're seeing, you're seeing a lot of different people. You're seeing a lot of different things. So I have maybe just a question for maybe the kids. If you were to try to maybe put your mind in first century Corinth, maybe I'll ask the kids this. So if you were going to imagine yourself in first century Corinth, what would you guys imagine these boats like what would you guys imagine is on these boats people? You, yeah people yeah that's a big one that's what else would you see Barrels? pardon me Barrels? yeah you're seeing goods you're seeing commerce you're seeing what else would you see you imagine all these boats that are that are coming into this port as they're being shane explained that they would be rolled essentially i think five or six miles across this uh, across the land stream because they were trying to get to the other side. But in this time, they're waiting, right? These are, they're, they're, they're waiting. So what else are you, are you seeing in this, in this port town? What are you guys, what are you guys imagining? Cannons? Yeah, there's a lot of, there's cannons. There's a, a lot of different things. Would you believe it? Well, you would if I told you that this was also a way that they communicated. This is a way that some of the postage worked back in, uh, in first century Corinth. If you think about all these ships and all the, all the way that, um, that information and all these things that we're bringing to the, this area, you would see that there was a lot of commerce. You would see a lot of boats, ships. You see a lot of people. And then what you would find is that there's a lot of exchange of information. Right? There's a lot of information that, that is being talked about. People would gather and, and, and disclose ideas to one another. They would debate. But then they would leave, and then those ideas would flow into different parts of the, uh, the Greco-Roman world. There's a lot of commerce happening. It's no different than what you see today, but in, in a, it's a much, it's a face-to-face -face livelier, perhaps, way of doing it. And one way we come to understand is that the Lord redeemed this. The Lord redeemed this um, in, in Acts chapter, uh, if, if we could turn quickly to Acts chapter 17, you get to see what that looks like played out in, uh, in the first century Corinth and first century, the uh, first century Greco-Roman world. As you're turning there, this is the story of Paul in Athens. 
And we, and we get to see, and in, in, in the book of Acts recounts what it looks like, what it, what it would have, uh, what it would have looked like to share information in, uh, in this, in this world at this time. So looking at Acts chapter uh, 17, verse 16, we see Paul in Athens, and you see him in the Areopagus, or as he, as he makes his way to his Areopagus. In verse 16, it says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. Again, we talked about those idols last week. But again, we're, we're seeing Greece, and if you guys are familiar with Greece and uh, and, and uh, Greco-Roman anthology or uh, mythologies, you're looking at all these, the gods and the pantheons that existed and all these, uh, all these gods that they would create and uh, that they would invest in, that they would manifest. Um, Paul is looking at this and his spirit is moved and he's provoked. And he's seeing all these idols and he's seeing all these images and all these things that are being proclaimed and he comes to, and the Holy Spirit moves within him. In verse 17, it continues, So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who had happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, He seems to be a preacher of divine uh, foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And he took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you, may be, uh, that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears, and we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and, uh, and the, the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in, in nothing except telling or hearing something new. And that's important for us to understand. The Lord, no doubt, took this opportunity, uh, these, um, these platforms, and this, uh, this forum, an open forum, and redeemed it for the gospel, for the gospel's sake. The Lord made very, very well known his name of Jesus, the, the name of Jesus Christ that says so right here in the text um, that some people were turned on by the idea where, where their, their, eye, their eyes were opened. But oftentimes we have to come to an honest understanding that the enemy also uses these forums. Although the Lord redeemed this, it says in verse 21, now all the Athenians and all the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So again, we're looking at, again, the church in Corinth, which isn't far off from Athens, which is uh, very close to, uh, to Athens. Um, and we're seeing that this same mind about them, about studying and idolizing knowledge for the sake of knowledge, um, is something that was probably well, um, well familiar to the church in Corinth. So when they would exchange ideas on, in, uh, in the commerce and, 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 and they would exchange later, uh, letters and postage and um, communicate back and forth, often they would be communicating different ideas. And so you can understand that the gravity of the situation when Paul comes to hear from, um, from Chloe and Chloe's people that this is what is happening in Corinth. Again, the same mind about the Athenians was also in the church in Corinth. The Corinthians were also had fallen into the same trap. This is a young church with carnal eyes. Nothing about what Paul has said in the first nine verses of this is incorrect. These are believers. These are brothers and sisters in Christ. But they are carnal believers. They are still too carnal. And they are too, and they are too fleshward seeking. And they had fallen into this very trap of seeking knowledge for knowledge's sake. So when it says, um, interesting note, when it says, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. Again, we don't get any reference to Chloe other than in this verse, or Chloe's people. Or, uh, in the, the King James Version has it rendered household, so family members have been in communication with Paul. But there is an understanding uh, that Paul was speaking to these believers in Corinth. There was communication. He cared deeply for them, if you remember. Um, and this troubled him. This troubled him dearly, and this troubled him quite a bit. If obviously, by the, by the tone of the letter that as, as we study, you're going to come to understand more and more that it troubled him a lot, all these issues that were plaguing this church in Corinth. Isaiah 40, 411 says, He tends to his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads the nursing ewes. Our Lord is not blind to what was happening. Uh, in, in this church. He saw full well on full display. Again, our sin is not hidden from him. He saw full well what was taking place and he was moved to, uh, to correct these issues through Paul. So to see, this, to see these corrections, we're going to have to, again, have an understanding that um, these corrections needed to take place. And some of them are going to seem quite harsh as, we, as we're going to see. Picking up in verse 12, it's going to say, uh, of 1 Corinthians, it says, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul 
I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? These are pretty egregious sins. And we need to stop and think about, um, about what, what, what Paul is truly getting at here. It wasn't, if again, it wasn't that they weren't receiving sound teaching. Because one question that comes up is, well, was it that they were just a young church that didn't have the shepherding and the, um, and the guidance? Actually, this is, a, this is Paul res, Paul's rebuke that they have honored these teachings higher than the person of whom they are teaching about. This is a pretty, pretty large pedigree of people who, who were familiar in the area. They were, they were familiar with Paul, Apollos, who, was, who said in the book of Acts, he's mighty in the scriptures. Again, very mighty man in the scriptures. Or Cephas, Peter, one of the apostles, one of the original apostles. Again, they are, it's not the teaching that is the problem. They have very sound teaching. It is not the teaching that is the issue. They're very privileged and very blessed to be able to hear these brothers. It's not that they were, um, they were left adrift and they were just left without elders or people to teach or come alongside them. That is not the problem. When Paul asks in verse 13, is Christ divided? It's a rhetorical question. And it's one that needs to make us pause for thought. Paul knows this, and we should be fully aware of this, that Christ is not divided. There is no division in Christ. He is not divided in and of himself. And we need to, when, when Paul asked these questions, was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? These are rhetorical questions that pause, that make us pause for thought and should make us pause for reflection. Because it isn't, um, it shouldn't be obvious. At least to the readers, as they come to read these questions, they should come to be struck right down to the heart that these are questions that are aimed right at their very circumstances. Is Christ divided? Invariably, the question, the answer is no, he's not divided. Again, it's not that, it's not that they had not received sound teaching. There's plenty of sound teaching. And, and I think that uh, when we come to understand this, it's... As, as, we, as we look to this, uh, this issue with an understanding of the carnality of our carnal minds, it's easy to see why something like this might happen. Maybe um, appealing maybe to the, to, the, to the parents in the room um, or uh, those with siblings. Um, again, I just want us to recognize that these issues, these quarreling issues that were coming out, as, again, if I'm appealing to the parents in the room, how does it make us feel when our children bicker? As parents when you see uh, your children fighting amongst one another. Again, I, I come from a family with a lot of siblings, and, I, and I'm blessed to have lots of siblings. But how does it make me feel when, when we are talking about sibling, amongst, or, uh, sibling rivalries or quarreling amongst us? As a parent, looking upon this, this is quite shameful. This is something that is um, quite shameful to our Lord. And we think about what that means to have that quarreling. Well, what, what, what brings about this quarreling? Why do we have these disagreements? Again, the issue isn't that these disagreements exist, because they will. It's how, how are they dealt with? Again, it's an, it's an understanding that these, this quarreling will always take place in a carnal world and a one that, that keeps Christ outside or to the side. These divisions will take place regardless of what it is we try to do to the best of our efforts. The carnal mind only values what we see in here. What was happening with the church of Corinth has happened with us. Eloquent speech, commanding presence, wit, humor, um, parts of speech that really, really excites us. While on their own, they're not bad. These things are not bad, and I want to make that clear. It's not bad to want to learn to speak better, to be more eloquent, or to be more intelligent, and to win people over with a good argumentation. Those things are not bad in and of themselves. But to place more value on those things than the meaning of the message that is being preached on every Sunday, or to align ourselves with, with a speaker, regardless of the caliber of speaker, is to make light of the light of Christ. And this is what Paul continues to get at. All throughout church history, 
it's often been the case that people will cling just a little too tightly um, to the robes of under shepherds. They'll cling, they'll cling too, too strongly to under shepherds and uh, their pastors or their leaders. Instead of clinging to the shepherd, looking to the light that is Jesus Christ. It happens all in church history. We're looking at this taking place in first century Corinth. It happens all in church history. It happens today. There's, um, this happened, there's a good story about this in, um, in Scotland, Dundee, that took place. Um, Robert Murray McShane was a, uh, was a pastor in the 1900s, um, and he ha- had a very interesting life. Um, he was, he was uh, taken by the Lord at a very young age, but this is a man who was, very, who was sold out for the kingdom. Um, he was uh, quite zealous for the Lord, and even though he had a failing heart and um, medical conditions that robbed him of more time here on earth, the, the Lord redeemed every second of his time by making him a zealous man unto God. You're looking at um, a man who... Uh, it's very interesting. He went to a, a missionary journey in, uh, in, in Israel. He was uh, uh, during the plague. And it's interesting you read um, of the accounts of what, what he had to go through, the similar issues that we go through here. There's quarantines and different issues that uh, he had to go through. But again, this is a man that was sold out for the kingdom. And he said, I'm going to go to, um, the Lord has led me to Israel as, on a missionary journey. He doesn't stay there for very long and he returns back to Scotland, Dundee, which is where um, where most of his life took place, um, most of his missionary work, or sorry, his uh, missional work. And he returns to a, a revival that is taking place um, back at home. And he, he remarks this, again, we have to keep in mind this, the carnal mind that is at work here, guys. Um, he says this, The work of the Spirit went on, the stream flowing gently, for the heavy showers had fallen, uh, and the overflowing waters had passed by. Again, this is the revival. There, he's seeing people come to a faith in Jesus Christ, seeing life in where there was none. Mr. McShane became ever more vigilant and discriminating in dealing with souls, observing also that some were influenced more by feelings of strong attachment to their pastor personally than by the power of the truths he preached. He became more reserved in his dealings with them, so that some thought that there was a little coldness or repulsiveness in his manner. If there did appear anything of this nature to some, certainly it was no indication of diminished compassion, but, on the contrary, proceeded from a scrupulous anxiety to guard others against the deceitful feelings of their own souls. What Robert Murray McShane saw in his day in Scotland, Dundee, what Paul, what Paul uh, became known about in first century Corinth, is the same thing that happens today. It's not that we, that we lack sound teaching. I think we have more than enough teaching that we could ever truly understand. We have more teaching than we know what to do with. But again, it's, it is with carnal minds when the, we approach these things and we begin to idolize these things that we need to, we need to really fully understand that it is not Christ that we are honoring. It is the eloquence of speech. It is the carnal mind that sees these things and, and understands these things. But it is not the mind of Christ to have the same mind and judgment that he has for his church. Um, to illustrate this, I guess, in one sense, um, I know we have a couple of athletes in the room here. I know we, um, Noah, who's your favorite hockey player? Mm, okay, okay, okay. And this doesn't have, have to just apply to sports, this can apply to anything, but, uh, I know we, I know Harson, you're, I think Sugar Ray Leonard? Yeah. yeah, he's your, he's your guy, hey? Uh, he's, if you were going to play like Hopkins or, or box like Sugar Ray Leonard, what would you do? What's one one thing you would do? Oh, I heard. I heard something over here. Practice. Okay, I practice. How, how would you practice if you were going to practice to try to become like someone? What would you do? What would you do? Watch what they do. Okay, you're going to watch what they do. You're going to learn. You're going to study what they do, right? Why would you study? Why would you study them? Well, what's the goal here? You want to be like them. That's right. You want to be like them, whatever that is. That might be um, how he plays on the rink, you know, how, how he boxes in the ring. Um, you know, it might be even music. It might be artists. It might be uh, authors and composers. It might be any and all things under the sun. I know that I have people that I look to, people that I, uh, I, I value, and I, and, I, um, and I really appreciate the way the Lord has used these people throughout church history. There are people all over the place that we will come to have an appreciation for. Those things are not bad. The Lord at proportions giftings, and it is His to do with. He will build up. It is His church, and He will build them up as He as He chooses. But we have to have an understanding, guys. 
that we become what we idolize. We become what, 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 what we chase after. We become more and more like these things. It isn't to say that we can't have, uh, an, again, an appreciation for, for the hard work that other men and women have done, especially when it comes to church history, to see, to look upon them, to look at teachers, and uh, to, to really appreciate sound pastors that, that we really come to appreciate. But it can't, but our allegiance is not to them. It is in Christ and in Christ alone that we build upon this. When Paul says, is Christ divided? This is not a, a referendum. This isn't a criticism on Paul or Paulus or, or Peter. This is, on the, this is a referendum on the people that are, are worshiping or idolizing these people. That are creating factions. Sowing infighting amongst, amongst the brethren. It is, it is a commentary on them and not the teaching that is being taught. Because he knows those are humble brothers. Those are humble brothers preaching Christ. It is not the teaching that is the issue. It is the hearts of those hearing the teaching. So we need to understand again, it's not, it isn't sound teaching that's the problem. It's who we idolize, who we try to become. We become what we, what we idolize, right? And if it is not Christ, then we continue to see what happens uh, in, in the carnal mind of man, like it is here in 1 Corinthians. Paul goes further um, in verse 14, and this is when he really, um, he becomes really direct, and we start to see what, what correction looks like. So far, it's been rhetorical questions. He's, he's opening up the argument that what they are doing uh, is of a carnal sense, is of a, of a fleshly sense, to look upon man and to esteem man and not Christ. But this is what, this is what rebuke looks like. Looking at verse 14 uh, and 16, so if we're going to start, our, this is our third point in our text, it says, um, a faithful, a faithful rebuke. These are faithful rebukes from a teacher, from, um, from a friend. This is Paul who loves his church very dearly. He loves this church and uh, is very well invested in them. But he has some harsh words for them. Starting in verse 14, he says, I thank God I baptize none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. At first, we look at those words and we might say, well, those are kind of harsh words. Those are, those are very harsh words. And um, if I received a letter like that to my household or to, um, or to some correspondence or group I belong to, that's not, um, those aren't words I want to hear. Right? Those aren't words that I would, I would immediately appreciate hearing. Those are, those are harsh words. Remember that Paul has spent all his time up until this point trying to build up his believers. These believers are being built up. He says these harsh words not to tear down, but to build them up in Christ. Sometimes the hardest thing is to, is to correct one another. But Paul is doing that in this, in this verse. Proverbs 27, uh, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Looking back at verses 12 and 13, um, we see what is happening. And this, and this offense, and this, as rightfully so, it offends Paul to see how little they've made of Christ. To say, well, I follow Paul. I follow you know, Cephas. I follow um, Apollos. All these people that are being placed in front of the image bearer. Of, of, the, of the image. The image bearer placed in front of the, uh, the image bearer placed in front of the image. This offends Paul. And he doesn't, and these are harsh words, but we have to, again, with the understanding that he's doing this as, as to build them up. He's not doing this because he, um, he is, he's ashamed of what is happening here. He's correcting issues in the church. To, so, to have the mind about us, the same mind and judgment of Christ, is to look at this and to say, that cannot be us. That cannot be how we conduct ourselves. For Paul, the spiritual vitality and health of the church is vitally important. Think about what he's starting with in in terms of his rebuke. There are many issues in this church. As, we're, as we come to read and we're going to come to know, there are many issues that plague this church. This being just one of them. But think about why Paul starts with this. Divisions in the church. I'm going to address this first. And he does it in, in quite a direct, and in, in some ways harsh fashion. 
There, there are a lot of issues. I mean, no church is perfect. There are no perfect churches. Uh, I have a friend, Al Lowry, who makes the joke that if you ever find a perfect church, don't go there because you're going to ruin it. There is no such thing as a perfect church. There is no such thing. There will be disagreement. There will be, um, there will always be more that could be done. But this isn't that. This isn't that. This is, this is something altogether. This is an affront to Jesus that we have looked at, at something else and, and put that thing or that person or that teaching in front of the light bearer himself. When it says that Paul, um, so that no one may say that they were baptized in my name, um, again, Paul is making the point very clear. We love baptism here. Uh, we've talked about baptism at length here, and we know that um, baptism is even one of the ordinances, uh, one of the two ordinances that Jesus Christ ordained. We have a, such a huge understanding, and we, and we love the, the ordinance of baptism. It is a beautiful um, visual imagery of what it looks like to pass from death into life. So this is not a rebuke on the ordinance of baptism, but it is against the sentimentality or the faction building that occurs when someone says, well, I was baptized by Paul. I was, I was taught by Peter. I was, I was baptized by such and such person. Those are carnal, flesh, and carnal and fleshly inclinations. And they're leading to more infighting. And, they have, and Paul, rightfully so, looks right at the issue and goes right for it and addresses it. Remember that we started with verse 10. Again, this is, uh, it's intentional that we start with verse 10 because um, we'll actually come back to this verse a couple times throughout the, um, no doubt throughout the, um, the book of 1 Corinthians because, again, we need to have this about us. That we all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. We're talking about issues of division and unity. And again, those things will come up. But true reconciliation and being able to address these issues in a way that is godly comes about only by having the same mind of Jesus Christ and the same judgment that, makes, that allows us to make sound and God-honoring decisions. It's not bad for people to be proud of their church and to have, uh, um, to have pride in their church and the, the, the work that is being done there. It is, it is a work sent from God, from Him and through Him and to Him. That's not the issue. It is that we would esteem that too high or that we would esteem those works or those people or that mission or those missionaries, all those things, that we esteem them all too high and say, I cannot do this if, if they are not around. You often heard it said um, that if I were not here next week or if Shane were not here next week um, or, any, or anyone else, that this, that this role would be filled by someone else. That is not to say that, again, we can't have appreciation for teaching and, um, and giftings, right? There are people who are better teachers, some people who are better mentors, some people who are better um, prayer warriors. We're talking about the, lift of, the list of giftings that the Lord proportions. They're His. He's going to build up His church. And it's not bad to look and say, well, that, that man right there is a real man who has a real zeal for the Word. He studies diligently and he knows it very well or someone is a prayer warrior and says you know that person if i if i need prayer i will go to that person but it is an issue when we come to an understanding that if i'm not there to pray for this person then no one will pray or if if there is no preacher on sunday that there will be no preacher for the rest of the weeks here and that's not true all these things are pointers to christ we are all um, instruments being used by him. Some in different capacities, some with better giftings in certain areas, but again, it is the Lord's and he proportions how he chooses. We cannot esteem them highly to, and put them in front of the light bearer himself. So again, I, I, I want to clarify that it's not these sound teachers because we all know sound teachers and we all we all have many that we are drawn to and there's many that would um, align with our views our you know doctrinal leanings there are more than more sound teachers today than ever i mean there, we look at church history we look at all the writings of the puritans and so on and so forth there are more more than enough resources to study now than there ever been right and some that align more with our view less than our view but those things are in and of themselves again pointers to jesus christ and paul and paul again addresses this perfectly in this in this 
uh, in these next or these last couple of verses that he can't. It cannot be that these men are being um, esteemed higher than Jesus. If we're going to accept correction like this, just to round out this point, if we're going to accept correction like this, again we have to understand um, that it comes with a humble heart. <laughs> uh, back to our sports analogy. I mean, if, for those you know, or even at least I know you play piano. Uh, you play it quite well, I heard. Um, any, anything that you aspire to do, you aspire to do well. But for those of us who have taught or are coaches or trainers or parents or uh, in any position of authority, there is nothing more difficult than trying to teach someone full of pride. There's nothing more futile than trying to explain to someone who already knows everything. Who's pride, who's, who has pride, who's proudful, who doesn't seek to want to learn, who already knows it or gets angry. All these things disqualify that individual from being a good pupil or a disciple. There's nothing more embarrassing or more futile than trying to teach someone who um, already knows it all. Right? I mean, they're the expert, right? Why would they come to you? They already know what they're doing. They can't accept guilt. They can't accept blame. And they don't know. They can't accept criticism. They can't move on. That cannot, that cannot signify us, brothers and sisters. That cannot be us. Even in issues that are really important, like issues of doctrine, we cannot, we cannot be proud and, hold, and hang our hats on those things. That's kind of what happened in the, um, um, the church in Ephesus in, in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, while you turn there. This is a church that, um, that is very, a very... A very proud church of its doctrine. Very proud. They seem to get everything right. They seem to. They, they were really discerning. They seem to have an understanding. But look what, uh, look what John says, um, to this church. So again, Revelation chapter two verse one. And it says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of the, him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So that's Jesus Christ. This is his word to them. He says, I know your works your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil and have tested or uh, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and have found them to be false. So these are very these are wise people. Right? These are people who are wise in the scriptures, they know what they're doing and they're testing and they are discerning and this is a good thing. This is a good thing about them. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. So this is kudos to them. This is good. Right? Again, this is not a bad thing. This is, this is what Jesus Christ says of them. But pay attention to what he says in verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. All that head knowledge, all the doctrinal knowledge, all the, the knowledge that... Um, that we take so much pride in is absolutely useless if we don't have our first love. And if we were to hear something like that, I mean, we pride ourselves on trying to have good doctrine and leaning on the Word of God. First and foremost, it is, it is paramount that we lean on the foundation of Jesus Christ and His Word. But if we, if we stray or receive correction from a leader and we don't... Like, th like this, a very, very sharp correction. This is Jesus Christ saying to them, I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. How do we respond to that? You can respond one of two ways. With foolishness or prudence. You can either be a fool and continue walking in the way that we have been walking. Or you can be prudent. You can correct what's been done. And you can move on from that. Proverbs 15.5 says, A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. Again, looking at disciples and looking at anyone who aspires to teach or to learn, to be discipled, anyone who accepts correction, needs to be of humble mind. Needs to be humbled. It can't be that we walk around with, with haughty minds and, uh, and puffed up egos. Because that does not make for a good disciple that is one that is prideful, that doesn't look to, to, be, to be taught. There's the saying, um, I'm always willing to learn, but I'm not always willing to be taught. 
And that cannot be us, brothers and sisters, especially when it comes to the Word of God. We need to hold our doctrine firmly in the Word, and we need to accept that correction will come. Correction will come for me. None of us are above this. It'll come to me. It'll come to Shane. It'll come to us all, your leaders, those at the far end of the pew, at the beginning of the pew. It doesn't matter. All correction comes from our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be discerning and humble, and we need to approach that either with foolishness that doesn't heed the Father's corrections or prudence. And this is maybe a call to the um, to those in um, to those of the flock uh, that that look to our leaders. We, we need to look to our leaders, and we need to um, we need to understand that they are in difficult positions. It's, difficult, it's a difficult position to be the leader in anything. Uh, but bear in mind, this is the word. This is the word of God. We are we are called to preach and teach. This is what Peter says to. Um, uh, this is what Peter says in First Peter five. <clears throat> This he says of shepherds. So I exhort the elders among you uh, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not compulsion, but willingly. As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge for being examples to the flock. This is, this is an example of good leadership, one that, uh, that is eager to lead, one that uh, seeks to lead uh, with, a, with an honest and earnest heart. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So again, this is the, this is the heart of, of, a, of a leader that aspires to lead. Right? One that is going to do it, not with domineering, but one that is going to come alongside and correct and to, um, and to truly build up in the image of Christ. These are, he is our, our image. We are, and all, all of us are on the same path to him. We all aspire to become more and more like him every single day, our mentor and teacher. And good leaders aspire to do this in a way that is gentle, that is not domineering, that is Christ-like more and more every day. But look what it says in verse 5. It says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's not, we, we, to have an understanding of pride and what that looks like with leadership is difficult. We need to have humble minds about us, leaders, and we're all part of the same flock. We are all sheep onto the shepherd. We are all seeking to be disciples. We all need discipleship. We all need correction. We all need to be uh, reared in the word. It is not our leaders that are are going to take us there. It is Jesus Christ that is going to be our ultimate and final guide. And those in subjection to to, to leadership, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So looking at, as we, as we begin to round out our, our, our passage for today, we have to understand, again, it's these, the, the carnal mind of, of the church cannot be what, what, t- what takes place in our church. What cannot, take, cannot play, take place in our own lives. We need to see it and, and have an understanding that it is Christ and Christ alone that we follow. Good men will come and go. Good teachers will come and go. Good preaching will uh, will remain, and you will learn, but always on to thee who is the one who is to be followed, Jesus Christ. It is, not, uh, it is not man that we follow, and we need to be humble when those corrections come. And so, as we get to the very end of, the, uh, of our time here, and we look at the last verse, so we're going to look at verse 17. It says, and this is where Paul rounds out his, his correction on this issue, and he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied in its power. Here we get to understanding why Paul speaks with such clarity and such urgency. I've said this throughout the course of this whole message. You can't help but read this into this text. To esteem men over Christ is to make low the blood of Christ. To esteem any of these things, if we align ourselves with the right teachers or, or, or factions or that we, that, that, we, that we brag about our baptisms or even regular church attendance, none of these things will save. None of these things. None of these things are, have any salvific value in them. 
regular church attendance. How many of us were regular church attendees until we truly realized that Jesus Christ, that our repentance in Him is what saves, not regular church attendance. Those things, these are, this categorizes this church in, in Corinth. They were probably very, very studious. I mean, you would have to be if you're leaning into faction, into faction building, into infighting. These are probably very studious people. They, they have good teaching in, for, in front of them. But it cannot be that we esteem men higher than Jesus Christ. That makes low the blood of Christ. It isn't baptism that saves. It is, uh, it is not a baptism of water that saves. It is a baptism of spirit and fire, like John the Baptist said in Matthew 3. It is a washing away of sins by Jesus Christ. It is repentance of our sin in Him. It is not good doctrinal leanings. That's important. But those things do not save. And to rob ourselves of the grace that is poured out by Jesus Christ is what Paul truly means to get at in this issue, in this, in this teaching. When, when, when he finishes this section, he means full well, Christ did not mean or did not send, to, uh, send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Again, it isn't even eloquent wisdom that is going to win the day. I mean, we should, we all aspire to be better teachers, better speakers, better, um, you know, better students, right? And that means that we're going to have to read, and we're going to have to learn, and we're, and our manner of speech is going to be different, and we're going to, and we're going to grow in knowledge of our Lord Jesus. And praise God for that. That's that's a real blessing. But we cannot, we cannot be won by eloquent wisdom. It is power of Christ and Christ alone that we will, will be won by. I want us to turn quickly to um, to First Peter, First um, Peter chapter two. Um, sorry, chapter one. Sorry, my mistake. First uh, Peter uh, chapter one, verse eighteen. And I want us to um, to as we as we close here, we need to understand this because this is paramount, brothers and sisters. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 saying, says this, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold or silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him, are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. We were ransomed, brothers and sisters, from the futile ways. Think about that, the futile ways that we come to find peace and joy. We are ransomed from that. Again, not with perishable things. We're talking about the most per- the most valuable things here on earth. We're not... We weren't ransomed with silver or gold or profane jewels. We were ransomed by the blood of Christ. That we would be that these futile ways would be washed away from us. That we would not esteem them. We need to understand this: that it is in Jesus Christ's power alone, and that is exactly what Paul is correcting here. It is not good teaching is good, being studious is good, be united. Being, being united in Christ is better. That is what Paul is teaching here. That we do not empty the cross of its power by relying on things that will not last. So as we continue to study in the, uh, in the months to come, in the book of 1 Corinthians, let us continue to draw near to the throne of grace. Let's continue to draw near to Jesus Christ and to learn more about Him. Like Paul was, used this letter to build up the church in Corinth. We are a young church that we are also being built up. Stones in the living temple. Let us be built. Let us be, be fashioned for Jesus Christ. Let us live for Him. With humble hearts that long for Him, that it are not open to correction, but that, that yearn for His leadership, yearn for His gentle hand, His chastening even. That we would look to these things and understand that it is Him who's doing it, and it is Him who's building us up into mighty men and women of God. Let's continue more and more to be like him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Dearly Father, Lord, thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that, uh, Father, that we are being built up, Lord, by you, by our Savior Jesus Christ, becoming more and more like him every single day. Again, it is not 
in the hands of man, Lord, that we are built. Lord, you use them. Lord, you use faithful preaching. You use, you use teachers and leaders and faithful men and women, Lord, to build up uh, believers, Lord. But all those believers, Lord, with the right mind of Christ and the same judgment in mind, Father, all seek Jesus Christ. All seek to be more and more like him and not like the men and women that come before him and all the men and women that he is using, Lord. No, it is in Jesus Christ alone that we find our strength, our being, and our power. Lord, I ask humbly, Lord, that, that you would make this eminent in our lives, Father, that this would be the, the, the very thought that awakens us and puts us to rest, Lord, every single day. Lord, that we would seek to become more and more like him, not esteeming anybody too highly, Father, lest we empty the cross of its power. Father, it is Jesus Christ who is that power. And I ask humbly, Lord, that you would implant this upon us, Father, that your word would be eminent in our minds, preeminent in all things, Father, as we seek to glorify Jesus Christ and become more and more like him every day. In light of what we've learned today, Father, I ask this humbly, Lord, that you would bless us and, and build us up, Father. Not just this church, but the church around the world, Lord, you are building her up. And we give you thanks for that, Father, that it is Jesus Christ, Lord, who will build this church. We pray, all this, we pray all these things in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ.